Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Our first reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him. And he saw God's spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I want to start out today with a question I want you to think about for a minute. The question is, how do you picture God? How do you picture God? What images or phrases, description words come to mind? If somebody were to come and ask you, tell me about God, what, how would you describe what God's like? How do you picture God? And the really interesting question is to think about whatever comes to mind, where did that come from? You know, did it come from parents, Sunday school teachers, uh, those 80s babies out there with me, those flannel graph things where they put, you know, the flannel pictures and displayed the Bible stories that way, you know, popular media. Those images of God that you have, how many of them would you say really align with the picture of God that we get in Scripture? There's a saying I read somewhere along the way, I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but a person who once said, in the beginning, God made man in his image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Which is to say, a lot of the ways that we picture God look much less like the God we find in Scripture and a whole lot more like some version of us. Individually and collectively, a lot of us paint a picture of God that looks a lot more like us than the God who is revealed in Scripture, and it matters. That matters how we think about God because how we think about who God is, what God is like, has deep Uh, implications for how we think about ourselves and the world around us. I'd hazard to say that uh, though we wouldn't necessarily put it in these words, there's a, a few different ways that a lot of us picture God. One of those might look a bit like a cosmic policeman. Right? God is up in heaven and God is looking down on us here on earth and making sure that none of us break any rules. Have you ever pictured God like that? With this picture of a policeman, God in our heads, we begin to believe and behave like following the rules is the most important thing anyone could ever do. 
And so we make sure that we do follow those rules, or at least we try. And so then doing that on the outside to everybody else's you know, vantage point, we look great. We look like we've got it all together, that we are following all the rules. But deep down inside, we know we're nowhere close. We're not getting everything right. We're far from perfect. So we live our day-to-day lives terribly afraid that, that any other person, and especially that God, might actually see the truth of how we're making all of these mistakes. And so, so with God, what we want to do, if God's a cosmic policeman, we want to keep our distance. We want to keep God as far away as possible, lest God see the truth of our failures. Maybe for you, your image of God is that uh, he's a little friendlier. Some of us picture God as a kind of Santa Claus in the sky. I know a lot of us picture the beard anyway, right? You know, and with God, we get to make our lists and, and we give God those lists of all the things we really want, all the things we need, all the things we really, really, really gotta have. And we give those lists to God and his job, of course, is to give us what we ask for. That's God's job. But here's the thing about Santa. Nobody, as far as I know, besides the elves, besides Mrs. Claus, nobody has a relationship with Santa, right? Santa has one job and one job only, and that is to show up on one day of the year. That's it. Like, what? really, what would we do if Santa came knocking on the door June 4th and was just like, I just kind of wanted to hang out? That might be restraining order time. Like, that's not... None of us have a relationship with Santa. So what we get from Santa is stuff. So if God is like Santa, well, then we kind of treat him actually a very similar way we would treat policeman God. We keep our distance. He's only good for what he can do for us and what he can bring to us. So once he's done that, we're done. So there's a couple ways of looking at God. There's others I know out there, and I understand why they come to this conclusion. Folks who, they look out on the world and they see it's all just a mess. The world is broken. I don't see anything being done about it. So when you look out on the world, when you think about God, what you picture is kind of an absentee landlord, right? Like, sure, God maybe built the world, got it all running and going, but then, you know, he's done. He's retreated. God stands at a distance while the whole thing just kind of breaks down. The roof is leaking, the heat's broken, but God, you know, absentee landlord just kind of doesn't need to be bothered about it. So with this image of God, we go on day by day without much care for God because frankly, we don't feel like God has that much care for us. So we go on and do our thing without him because he's just this distant aloof, absentee landlord. Have any of those pictures of God ever rung true for you? Maybe some even still today. We have our own ways of picturing God, but I, I want to say none of them are, are, are actually true. None of those anyway. Christians believe that the Bible uniquely reveals to us truly what God is like. And hopefully, after these last 10 weeks of reading through portions of the Old Testament, your picture of God God has gotten a little clearer. 
And this last week, as we turned the pages of our Bibles to the New Testament, as we turned our, our Bibles to read the stories of Jesus, that picture just even more clear. This last week, we read stories from all four Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And intentionally, we gave you stories that would give you a broad overview of Jesus' life and ministry, who he was and what he came to do. We read stories of Jesus' birth, of his baptism, of his miraculous healings, his his authoritative teaching. And I wonder if you noticed as you read Something fascinating about Jesus. Jesus, wherever he went, whoever he was with, whoever he was talking to, Jesus rarely allowed anybody to just observe him from a passive, safe distance. And Jesus was always calling people out, drawing them out of the crowd, inviting them to take step after step after step, drawing closer to him, inviting them to get to know him more closely, to follow him more deeply. You see, Jesus didn't come just so we could know more about God. Jesus came so that we might know God through him which is exactly what Jesus is inviting us to do in the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app you want to flip to, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Matthew tells us, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So another question for you. And I think probably only if there's other people in this room who went to Christian college like I did are going to know the answer to this first one, but we'll see. I want to know if there's anybody in this room who knows what a DTR is. Anybody ever heard that acronym? All right. Well, then I was going to ask if you've ever had one, but you're not going to know that yet. But I'm going to hazard a guess before I tell you what it is. I see you people raising, you didn't raise your hand, but I see my Christian college kids back there. You know, you're laughing. Come on. Because I'm going to say 92% of you, it's my guess, have had one of these in your lifetime, at least one, maybe more than once. And you're like, do I need to call my doctor? What is what? No. Uh, So I'm going to describe what it is before I tell you what DTR stands for. A DTR uh, happens when you meet somebody, possibly a special somebody. Start hanging out with that person, you you give each other your number, depending on what era you lived in, you call or text that person, maybe a little bit more than you call or text other people, you hang out, go out, 
kind of starting to wonder, what are we? Like, who is this person to me, and who am I to them? Are we friends? Are we more than friends? I, I don't know. And that question lingers in the air until finally somebody works up the courage to ask, what are we? Well, who am I to you? Who, who are you to me? What are we? That is the DTR. Define the relationship. It's very big in Christian college world. I don't know why, but it was. But that's that conversation where you define the relationship. Most of us have done that, right? Are you with me now? All right, I'm seeing your head's nod. Okay, I'm not alone here. (laughs) In our most important relationships, we all get to a point where we want to know where we stand, what's happening between us and where it's going to go. Well, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's attracted quite a crowd. He's called 12 of those people from that crowd to come and follow him as his disciples, to do life from him, with him, to learn from him. And for almost three years now, with those 12 disciples, Jesus has invested in them. He's prayed for them. He's poured into them. And now, as Matthew tells us, Jesus takes them up to Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles away from Galilee, away from the craziness, away from the crowds, some time together with his closest friends so they can have a DTR of sorts. And he starts out with a relatively easy question, just to get them talking. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they've been out amongst the crowds. They know what people have been saying about Jesus, so they tell him. He says, a lot of them say you're a prophet. You know, people think you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, that you're subversive. You're sent from God. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That was an easy one. But then Jesus goes a little deeper. What about you? Who do you say that I am? At this point, I imagine there was an awkward silence. You know, that the disciples all kind of lowered their eyes and hoped that Jesus wouldn't try to make eye contact the way you do when you don't want the teacher to call on you or when the uh, pastor says, who'd like to close this meeting in prayer? (laughs) Never does a room get quieter faster. But finally, Peter jumps in with an answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asks. Some of you may have seen last week I used social media to ask that question, to kind of poll the masses, anybody who wanted to answer. Who's Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? And I got some very lovely answers. One person said that to them, Jesus is the Savior, Redeemer, Comforter, Friend. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Another wrote saying that Jesus is my savior who is empathetic towards what I go through because he chose to experience all the grief, loss, fear, and pain that accompanies our human condition. Jesus is the way because he demonstrated that love, compassion, and mercy are what soothes all the tough stuff and that I can receive as well as give those to others. Another about Jesus wrote, I am the all. Cleave a piece of wood and I am there. Lift up a stone and find me there. 
Jesus is every part of every moment of every day, and most importantly, in every person I encounter. Finally, I love this one. This is from a friend back in Pennsylvania. He's a youth pastor and very much a deep mystic. He said to him, Jesus is everything, and somehow becoming even more. Who do you say that I am? You know, as a pastor, I spend a, a fair bit of my life thinking, reading, talking about Jesus. Earlier this week, Ben and I were talking something about college, and he, he put forth the theory that he believed that my major in college was being a Christian. It's not totally wrong. And I will tell you, for every sermon... I do a lot of preparation. I read books and, and commentaries. I, I listen to other sermons that other pastors have preached on, on the topic I'm going to preach on, and I try to piece together from all of it what I feel like God maybe wants me to say to all of you about who he is. But Jesus still comes to me, and he asks me, not what are you going to tell them about me, but no, he says to me, what about you? Becca, who do you say that I am? So if you will permit me, I will tell you a little bit. A little bit about who Jesus is to me. To me, Jesus is the clearest picture we have of God. As Paul put it in the first chapter of his letter to the Colossians, says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God, but in a way that I can understand. Jesus is God with skin on. You know, I'll, I'll admit, I, I, I'm a whole lot like a lot of you, that there are times where when I'm picturing God, I'm tempted to picture this big, scary, distant, aloof, old, bearded man way up in the sky. But that's not the picture that God gave us of himself. God gave us Jesus. Jesus, who ate and drank and lived and laughed with real people, people like you and me. God gave us Jesus, who welcomed little children to come and play and be blessed by him. God gave us Jesus, who got mad at injustice and cried at the death of his dear friend. That is the picture we have of God. So when I think of God, I think of Jesus. Jesus is the clearest picture we have of God, but that's not all. To me, Jesus is the Savior. You know, one of the things that Jesus came to earth to do was to save people from sin. He saves people from their individual sin, and he saves all people, all creation, from sin's effect on this world. That's what Jesus was doing. In his 30-some years here on earth, he was saving people from sin's effects on their lives and on the world. That's why he fed people who were hungry. That's why he healed people who had diseases. That's why he forgave people who were burdened with guilt and shame. That's why he restored people who thought that all hope was lost. 
Jesus did that on an individual level, level then, but he promises. He promises he's gonna come back one day and on that day, Jesus is gonna do that very same thing on a global, universal level. We have a promise in scripture that Jesus, when he returns, he is going to rid the entire cosmos of all sin, all suffering forever. On that day, Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye. On that day, death will be no more. Mourning and crying will pass away. They will be no more. With Jesus, tears are turned to laughter and pain is transformed into joy for Jesus is the Savior. But he's not just the Savior. Jesus is my savior. I'm overcome by the fact that Jesus didn't just come to save the world from sin, though he did do that, but he came to save me from mine. I know myself. I know that I need saving. I know that there is nothing I can do to stop the selfishness and self-centeredness that just threatens to take over my whole life. But because Jesus is my savior, I'm given the gift of mercy. Because of Jesus, I do not get the judgment and wrath I deserve from a holy, righteous, and sinless God. And because Jesus is my savior, I'm given the gift of grace. I get acceptance, I get forgiveness, and I get unconditional love. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I will tell you, sometimes that's hard. (laughs) That's hard. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means I'm not. It means Jesus is in charge. It means I have to listen to him. I've got to obey him. I've got to follow him. And Jesus sometimes leads me to places and circumstances and people that I am not comfortable with. So that challenges me. Jesus' lordship of my life can be hard, but ultimately it is so, so good. Because again, if Jesus is Lord, that means... I'm not. So I don't have to worry and fret and lose sleep at night feeling like the weight of the world is on me because it's not. If Jesus is Lord, that means he's in control. It means that the, the words that some of us sang when we were kids, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, I'm in that world. So that means I'm in his hands too. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks. You've heard from some others who they say Jesus is. You've heard some of what Jesus means to me, so now what about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? What does Jesus mean to you? Or in other words, are you ready to define the relationship 
For some of you, you're not sure what you want to say. You aren't really ready to commit. I get that feeling. You know, several years ago when Dave and I were on the verge of dating, I will confess I was not feeling ready. I wasn't so sure about him. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I like him now, but at the time, I just, I wasn't sure. How much did I like him? Would I continue to like him? Would we be compatible? Would we drive each other crazy? Would I like dating him? Would we get along? All of this, I just kept asking all these questions, and, and, and my strategy of trying to figure it out is I asked everybody else what they thought. Should I date him? You know, would we like all these questions? I asked my friends, I asked my family. Finally, one day I took this very angst-filled question to my therapist and I asked her what, what I think I should, she thought I should do and she gave me the best advice. She said, look, think of Dave like a piece of cake. <laughs> He's like a piece of a cake that you have never tried before. And so you're, you're not sure if you're going to like it. So you can look at that cake and examine it all you want. You can ask other people if, if they like the cake and if they think you will like it. You can learn all about it. You can study the ingredients and research how it's made, everything you want. But you know what? You are never going to know if you like the cake unless you try it yourself. You might hate the cake. It might be the worst cake you've ever eaten, or you might love the cake, but you're never going to know unless you try. Here's how this fits. You know, when Jesus met people, he never started out by announcing his identity. Jesus never walked into a room and said, hey, guys, son of God, right here, second person of the Trinity, that's me, all right? You want to get it? Come on, come on, come on. No, when Jesus just first met people, he simply invited them to spend time with him, to follow him, to get to know him, to figure out who he was for themselves. Jesus invited people to try the cake. Jesus is inviting you to try the cake. Spend time with him. Get to know him. See how life works with him. There's a number of ways you can do that. You can get to know Jesus through his word. As we said last week, because Jesus is alive, when we read the pages in this book, especially the stories of Jesus, we're not just reading about him, we are encountering him. Jesus meets us in this word. I want to encourage you, if you have done zero reading in our long story short series thus far, and I know there are some of you out there and there's no judgment. If you've done none of the reading, do it this week. Grab one of the books. I think they're still out there. Do it this week. This week we have, I think, five days, maybe seven. I don't remember. We got days of readings. All of them set the story of Jesus' walk from the table with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross of Golgotha. That is the story of this week. And I would encourage you, I would implore you, meet Jesus in those stories. You can get to know Jesus through his word. You get to know Jesus through his 
people. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. So we get to know Jesus when we gather together for worship. We get to know Jesus when we turn toward each other in a small group or in a coffee or in a dinner with friends. When we do life together with God's people, we get to know Jesus in ways we never could on our own. Get to know Jesus in the words of Mother Teresa in his most distressing disguise. You know, our kids spent this whole year studying and learning and living out the words of Matthew 25, where Jesus tells us that we meet him in the hungry and the homeless, the prisoner and the refugee, the orphan and the widow, how we treat the most vulnerable and hurting of our world. That's how we treat Jesus. So go and get to know him there. I'll close with the question we started with. What's God like? How do you picture God? George Buttrick was the chaplain at Harvard University a number of years ago, and he would tell the story about how students, you know, very intellectual Harvard students would come into his office on occasion and plop down in the chair and tell him, you know, you're the chaplain, but I want you to know I don't believe in God. And he was very unfazed by this. He would say, all right, it's fine. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the God you don't believe in? Because I'm going to bet I don't believe in that God either. Friends, the Bible tells us nothing about a cosmic policeman, a Santa Claus in the sky, or an absentee landlord. What the Bible does tell us about what every page points to is the person of Jesus Christ. We can go on making God in our image if we want to, but if we really want to know what God is like, it's best to look at Jesus. And then, when Jesus comes to you, and Jesus will come to you, and he asks you, who do you say that I am? My encouragement to you, try the cake. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.